thank you. Amen. Would you turn tonight to Revelation chapter number 17? That's a good song to remember um, as we make our way through this book. If there is ever a book that shows the greatness of God, it would be the last book of the Bible. Um, and we're, we're looking uh, at this entire chapter tonight. In the 16th chapter, we looked at the final judgments of God in the world. And that is the bold judgments or the vile judgments, if you prefer. And we also noted in that uh, chapter three times the Bible says mankind wouldn't repent. They just continued to defy God and all of this going on, terrible judgments. That last plague that we looked at this morning, this, this earthquake that just devastates the world. And we've, we've, we've noted some earthquakes in our time. If you've, uh, um, the, the earthquake there that, that caused that tsunami in 2004, back in, I think it was 1960, they had the Alaskan earthquake and we've, we've, seen and heard of some of the earthquakes that take place down in South America. Chile had a terrible earthquake in this century. Turkey has major earthquakes and devastation takes place. And yet the Bible says the quake that's coming, it overshadows all of them. And the devastation that's coming to the planet, and it's going to destroy. We talked about destroying the great cities of the world. I there's a couple of TV shows I like to watch, and they're set, um, they're set in New York City. And every time they do the aerial views of New York City, I, let me just say, I have absolutely no desire to go to New York City. I just, I just really don't. Uh, some people are like, oh, I'd love to see that city. I'm like, I look at it on TV, and I'm like, that's fine. Um, don't have to fight the traffic. And, but you look at these cities and the, the, the construction that has taken place, and these massive uh, these massive high-rises and the, the skyscrapers. And I, I look at all that, but the Bible says those are just going to be, those are going to be laid waste. Just all of the things that man has accomplished in this world, the tribulation period is going to accomplish its destruction. And if the earthquake doesn't get him, what about that hailstorm that concludes chapter 16? 100 pound let, let's say, let me, let me back off here and say this. Let's say that I'm off by that. Let's say that it's not 100 pounds, that I've exaggerated that times two. Okay, let's talk about 50-pound hailstones then. Can you imagine? Some of you got stuck here several years ago. Uh, we had on a Wednesday night, following our Wednesday night church service, we had a horrific hailstorm go through East Tennessee. And you remember that. We had folks in our services that were driving home that had the windows busted out of their car by baseball size hail. Can you imagine 50 or 100 or 120 pound hailstones? All of that going on. It's going to take away all of man's accomplishments and all that he trusts. We count on our bank account working. What about when computers go down? What about when the banks themselves are destroyed with hailstones and earthquakes? What about all that? The truth is this, that since the Garden of Eden, man has been trying to get by without God. That's where we determined in, in our, our old man, Adam, that's where it was determined. We can do this without God. Let's just go our own way. And for the last six or 8,000 years, that's only been getting uh, more and more evident in the heart of mankind. We will do without God. We will legislate him out of our society if possible. Well, we're coming tonight to chapter number 17. And I've taken, the, I've taken the title of the sermon right from the chapter itself, the whore of Babylon. What's, what is God talking about here? In chapter 16, in verse number 19, it talks about Babylon. And I mentioned to you this morning, Babylon is a city. It's an ancient city. Today, the only ones that care about the city of Babylon are historians and archaeologists. But there's coming a man who's going to rebuild that city. He is Antichrist. We don't know his name. We only know his title. He will rebuild the city of Babylon and make that his seat, make that his capital. Whatever his kingdom is going to look like, Babylon will be where he rules it from. So Babylon was a city. It will be again. But in the scripture, Babylon is also a system. 
Now, this will help you with your Bible interpretation. It certainly has helped me. Babylon is not just a geographical location. It is a philosophical system that is 100% anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Christian, anti-Scripture. It's the world system. The Bible in the New Testament calls it the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, John's going to say. And it's talking about the system of the world. Now, you have to be careful in your Bible interpretation because Jesus will say something like, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But when it talks about the world in a negative sense, it's talking about a system that humanity has been building with, I believe, satanic inspiration that flies in the face of God and it is doing, we are doing our best, humankind is doing our best to figure out how we can live and function and prosper without anything to do with God. We've rejected him. Chapter 17 and 18, and we, we talked about this earlier in the book, chapter 17 and 18 is another parenthetical um, passage of scripture. And by that, I mean it's not going to... Uh, it's not going to progress us in the chronology of the tribulation period. Chapter 16 says what's going to happen to Babylon. Chapter 17 and 18 are full of the details of that. So I put it like this. Chapter 17 gives us the destruction of religious Babylon, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Chapter 18 is going to give us the destruction of economic Babylon. There is a system that is working against you. It's what you're fighting against when the Bible says that we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is that system that's against you. It manifests in people. Can I caution you, church? Don't hate people. God doesn't. You remember Dr. Richard Vick, his three favorite words, every time, every meeting he preached, everywhere he went, his three favorite words were God loves people. Don't hate people, even those that manifest the world system and advance the world system and they drive us further away from God. Don't hate them because God so loved them that he gave his only begotten son. Pray for them to be saved. You may not like our governor. You may not like our mayor. You may not like our president or senator or congressman. Pray for them. You're obeying scripture when you do that. Don't hate people. Hate the world, absolutely. Be disgusted with the world, this system, this system of Babylon. So let's look at this tonight, and we'll get through, uh, believe it or not, we should get through the entire chapter quicker than we did just part of chapter 16 today. But let's work on that, all right? Let's start by reading the first six verses of Revelation chapter 17, where it says, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me. Isn't that personable? John John says it. Now this angel came, he talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her head was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered, uh, I wondered with great admiration. Now let me pause and, and take, away some, uh, take away some apprehension. Because you and I look at that last word in verse number six, admiration, differently than it would have been used in this particular context. 
he is not admiring this affectionately. What he's saying is, I'm absolutely stunned at what I saw. So don't look at this as John saying something positive or complimentary about this woman sitting on this scarlet beast and decked out like she is with having these horns and these heads. Don't, don't think he's admiring it like you and I admire something. He's saying, I'm stunned by what I saw, absolutely amazed. So tonight we're going to look at what the Bible calls this whore in Babylon. And we'll break the, we'll break the, section, the chapters up by section and talk about her in, in various ways and what the Bible has to say about her. From opening with her description, concluding with her destruction. Because by the time we get to verse number 18, the Bible says that the, the Antichrist himself is going to destroy this woman. And that sounds like he's fighting against himself, but this is the Antichrist. Remember, he is as evil as any man who has ever walked this earth. He's a man, but he is as evil as any ever came. And he's going to use this woman, and then he's going to destroy her. Let's walk, let's, let's walk through this and, uh, and, see what we, uh, and see what we glean uh, in this scripture tonight. Let's start, first of all, in those verses we just read. The Babylonian whore described. Described. There's a lot of detail here, isn't there? A lot of detail, given what she's wearing, what she looks like, what she's riding, um, what is written on her clothing, all of these things. Verse 1 lets us know right away that we're looking at her judgment. It's this angel comes and says to John, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. As I said this morning, that's not a word we use in decent company today. So, in fact, in the rest of the Bible, God doesn't use that word. He uses the word harlot. But when he talks about Babylon... He shifts, doesn't he? He shifts into another gear. This is, this is God's disgust with what he's seeing in this system that's called Babylon. It's the word, it's the Greek word, porne. You can see where we go with that word in our English language. And it means exactly what you think it does. It's a, it's a harlot. It's a, it's a prostitute. And throughout the Bible... The word harlot is used to describe false worshipers. In fact, in the Old Testament, it's full of it, isn't it? Where God says that his children have committed fornication. They have committed adultery. What is he talking about nine times out of ten in the Old Testament? He's talking about they're worshiping another God. So he takes that thought and he blows it up here. Here, the word is referring to a whole system in this chapter of false religion that has been embraced by the world. So God is revealing in this text, he has had enough of the false religions in the world and he's going to destroy them. So we'll make our way through these, we'll make our way through these verses and let's see. First of all, there's the scope of this system. It says that this woman is sitting upon many waters. Don't you love it when the Bible interprets itself? Can I tell you as a pastor, it's wonderful when God says one thing here, and then if you'll read for just a little bit, he'll tell you exactly what he said previously. That's what he does here in verse number 15. He interprets verse number one for us. There's this woman all decked out. She's sitting upon many waters. What are those waters? Holy Spirit, would you mind telling us? And he saith unto me, verse 15, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So here's this woman and she is sitting on top of these waters. What is the, what is the picture being drawn? The picture being drawn here is that of a one-world religion that is accepted by everyone the world over. Do you remember what Karl Marx said? Karl Marx said about religion, he said a lot of things. Remember what he said about religion? It's the opium of the people. Karl Marx said that religion is the opium of the people. One commentator said this, 
People are incurably religious because God created them to be worshipers. They will inevitably worship someone or something, if not the true God, then false gods of their own making. And my, we see that all over the world, don't we? Talk with some of our missionaries to Africa or Asia and find out about the the absolute incredulous gods that people are worshiping. Right now, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of religions covering our planet. And the differences in these religions are absolutely astounding. Several years ago, John MacArthur hosted a conference. He wrote a book and hosted a conference. He had speakers come from all over the place. And uh, the conference was called Strange Fire. And he had a pastor. Actually, it was a a pastor, a, a local pastor from Lusaka, Zambia, where our missionary Johannes is at. And this pastor came in and preached at this conference, and he was talking about a, a brand, uh, 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 that's probably not the right word, a branch, there's the word I'm looking for, a branch of the charismatic movement that had moved into some of the Zambian national religions and combined itself so they had the misinterpretation on the ministry of the Holy Spirit tied to some of the animistic and even demonic things in the Zambian religions that are, that are back in the tribe. Now, overall, Zambian is a Christian country. But there are those tribes in there that still hold to some of the uh, traditional animistic ways. And the charismatic movement, uh, someone moved in there with their teaching and combined it with that. And that pastor goes on, and I won't, I won't tonight get into the detail of the absolute pornographic worship that they conduct, the priests conduct, in the name of God. It's absolutely astounding how far the world's religions have gone. There are, there are just a few primarily, uh, primary recognized religions in the world. Christianity certainly is one of them. Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Most of the world's population can be found in those religions. More than half of the world's population can be found in those religions. Add to that all of the other religions. You know what was interesting with our uh, when, when Christian missionaries began to go to places where Christian missionaries have never been? They would find in these people who have never seen a white person, a European, they've never heard the Bible, they have never heard of the true God or of his son or of the Holy Spirit, but they get to these places that are absolutely isolated from the rest of the world. And you know what they find? They find them worshiping. Now, it's false worship. It's idol worship. It's ancestor worship. But it's worship. It goes back to what that one preacher said. God created mankind to be worshipers, and they will worship something or someone. And besides these five religions, there are all these other religions in the world that are so so far from what God intended our worship to be. But there's coming a day when the Antichrist and the false prophet, his right-hand man, are going to put together a religion that's going to come under one banner. A plan is going to be ironed out that is going to erase the differences between the religions of the world. That religion is personified in this woman that we're looking at tonight, and that's why she's sitting above all the people of the world, the nations and tongues, the Bible says. It's going to be a one-world religion that combines all of the others. And may I, may I suggest this to you, and you already know it? This is already happening. This is already underway. An ecumenical movement that has been at work for decades now to take down the differences between the world religions. Do you remember just two or three years ago, Dr. Manley spoke to us on a, a couple of Sunday nights talking about Mormonism. This, I hadn't heard this before. This just astounded me. Uh, if you've ever been to Salt Lake City, you know that's the, that's the home of the Mormon church, the Latter-day Saints. They have their main temple there in Salt Lake City. And when you go into that temple, 
there is a mural there that since its construction, that mural has been the portrayal of the Mormon, uh, the Mormon uh, pilgrimage from the eastern United States to the west. And you could go in and you could see the history of the Mormon church. And that's what they chose to display. That's the story they wanted you to see when, the, when you come into the temple. That was on their walls. Do you remember what Dr. Manley said is portrayed on their walls now? Jesus and the disciples. Because the Mormon church has an unpublished goal of being assimilated into Christian orthodoxy. This ecumenical movement that has been going on since I was a kid, I remember hearing about this. It is advancing that. It's why you see more and more churches that have absolutely no denominational name in the name of their church. As long as God chooses to leave me as pastor at Faith Baptist Church, that word Baptist will remain on our sign because I want people to know when they walk into Faith Baptist Church, I want them to know what they can expect doctrinally. I I want them to know that we believe in salvation by grace only. I want them to know that we believe in the priesthood of the believer, that we have two ordinances, and they're not sacraments. They're ordinances. They're representative pictures, the Lord's Supper and baptism. But the walls between denominations are being taken down as if it's something bad. Look, there's a reason I'm not an Episcopal. There's a reason for that. There's a reason I'm not a Lutheran. I have Lutheran friends. There's a reason I'm not. I'm not Methodist and I'm, I'm a Baptist by conviction. I'm a Christian because I was born into the family of God. I'm a Baptist by conviction. Because I believe the Baptist church most closely identifies with the first century church. Do I think for a minute that it was the first Baptist church of Jerusalem? Absolutely not. But I I identify with that. I, I think the walls are important, but the Antichrist won't. And the false prophet won't. I told you before, I love Steve Green. I, I love Steve Green's music. I, I listened to Steve Green since he, he made it big. Steve Green was a, a, a missionary kid to Argentina. He grew up in Argentina. But Steve Green, he, he sang a song back in the early 90s called Let the Walls Come Down. And it's my biggest disappointment with Steve Green. I'm like, no, absolutely not. Don't let the walls come down. I, I know that there are people in other denominations that are Christians, absolutely. But I'm going, I'm going to do my best to hold to the biblical stand on every doctrine attached in Scripture. Don't, don't let someone talk you out of your eternal security. Don't let someone convince you there's an ordinance besides baptism and the Lord's Supper. Don't let someone tell you that you need an intermediator between you and God other than Jesus Christ. You are a priest before God. You get That's why the veil was rent. We don't need the priest anymore. But a religion is coming to this world where all of the best of the various religions are going, and it's coming during the tribulation period, it's going to come together. One day all true Christians from Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches and Methodist churches. My dad worked with a man who was a Roman Catholic. He believed that salvation only came by grace through faith. He had no belief whatsoever in Mary. He did not believe in the sacraments. Do you know why he went to the Roman Catholic Church? He liked the formalism. That was it. He liked the liturgy. So he just went to the Roman Catholic Church, but he believed like you and I do. I think think Sam's in heaven. My dad was convinced Sam's in heaven. There are going to be Roman Catholics in heaven who their, their acknowledgement for salvation is only Jesus Christ. And one day all those believers are going to be raptured out of here and the and all that's going to be left. Can you imagine this? All that will be left on planet Earth are unsaved people. Would you stop and think about that? I I, I have to confess to you, I haven't carried that thought very far. But imagine not one saved person on the entire planet. I'm not talking about like in our city. 
I'm saying on the planet, not one saved person. They're gone, just like that. When that happens, what will be left are those in churches who have a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. There will still be millions, if not billions, of religious people on the planet. And suggestions and theories are going to be presented to explain away, I think, the rapture. Have you noticed, let me just say this, have you noticed recently, and, and God help our congressman for leading this charge, have you noticed how recently so much talk on the UFOs? Now, I think it's ludicrous. Uh, you can believe whatever you want. I, I think it's ludicrous. But I can also see Antichrist taking that theory and explaining away the disappearance of millions and millions of people around the globe. I, in my lifetime, now I wasn't around 1950, whenever that thing happened out there in Roswell, New Mexico, whatever happened, I wasn't around, some of you may have been, but in my lifetime, I do not remember such educated people and, and people so high in our government giving credence to the thought that there are Martians out there. Why at this time? Why is this coming to the surface now? I think it could be used as a viable explanation for the disappearance of you and me. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I, I, don't really, I don't really know. But the scope of this thing is going to be a one-world religion. Christianity is different from all the rest of them. Uh, Christianity... It is religious, and, and religion is not a bad word. I, we've got a tendency in Baptist churches to talk about religion as if it's a bad word when the book of James says that there is pure religion. Pure religion and undefiled is this. Do you remember James writing that? Religion is not a bad word. It's the religion that leaves Christ out. Christianity is is more than a religion. It's a faith. It is a, it's something that we trust God in. When that rapture occurs, all the, all the Christians are gone, and the, those that are left, and we'll not turn there, but you can write down 2 Thessalonians 2.11. All those people that are left are going to be easy prey for this strong delusion that God himself is going to send. Part of that strong delusion is a new religion that's going to be palatable to everyone. Nothing in Hinduism attracts me today. I'm not interested in leaving fruit out so my ancestors won't attack me. Buddhism doesn't look at me. I, I'm not into yoga. You know, yoga is tied to Eastern religions. I'm Obviously, I don't do yoga. But those people that are left after the rapture, they're going to be presented with a religion that is going to be very appealing, and it's going to be worldwide. Well, that's the scope of it. The second thing, not just the scope of this system, but the seduction of it. The seduction of the system. In verse number 2, it's as if the entire world is going to come under a spell with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. This spiritual adultery that's coming, it seduces the world into being, well, the Bible says they are drunk with the wine of these false beliefs that are going to be presented. Look back at chapter 14 and verse number 8. Chapter 14 and verse 8 says, There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all the nations of the wine to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. There's another reference there, that spiritual adultery, rejecting the true God but embracing false gods. She is like a slick prostitute that's coming in, and there's a seduction going on, and it's toward a false religion. God is drawing in chapter number 17 a very graphic picture of this, of this system called Babylon. There's the scope of it, the seduction of it. Verse number 3, the supporters of it. The supporters of it. It says in verse 3, So he carried me away in the wilderness. I saw this woman sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast, 
full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. This woman, this harlot, is supported by the Antichrist here called the beast. He lifts up this religious system to great power and great influence in the world, and it says that she is full of names of blaspheme. Antichrist will set himself up. We've talked about this earlier. He sets himself up as God. He enters the Jewish temple, desecrates it, and then demands that the world worships him. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, or or just listen, verses 3 and 4, where Paul writes to that church, and this is what he says about that event. He says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Read into that, Antichrist. Capital A, Antichrist. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, Or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He is going to demand that the world worship him, and a deceived and deluded world will worship him. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11. They'll give him this, this worship. This is the beast who is pushing this this false worship, this woman, this this harlot, he's pushing this religion on the world, and they're going to accept. It says in verse number 9, it says in verse number 9, here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads, and here again is scripture interpreting itself, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. That might refer to ancient Rome. Ancient Rome, you know, was built on seven hills. And some think that this reference makes this this woman to be, this harlot, makes her to be the Roman Catholic Church. I don't think that's what it's saying. I don't think that the one world religion that is coming is going to be the Roman Catholic Church. And you may believe that, and I'm not knocking you, I'm just saying... Can you see a a Muslim capitulating to Roman Catholicism? I, I just don't see that. I don't see a Buddhist or a Hindu doing that. I think the religion that is coming is going to be palatable to everyone. But there's something about this seven hills... Maybe it doesn't refer to Rome. It might, be, it might refer to the seven continents that make up the world to emphasize again this is a one-world or a one-world religion. I, I can't be adamant on that. You can't be adamant on it. People have, different, people have different opinions on that, but she's sitting on seven hills, it says. A lot of people want to figure out what this religion is. When I was a kid growing up in independent Baptist churches, Uh, Michigan, Missouri, Tennessee, Montana, I heard uh, that being presented as this, this harlot being presented as the Roman Catholic Church. And then as Islam began to spread like crazy around the world, topping over a billion followers now apparently, then some started suggesting maybe, maybe it's Islam. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm qualifying what I'm about to say, so, so I'm not expressing any biblically supported uh, book, chapter, and verse idea. But personally, I believe that this religion is a conglomeration of all of them. I don't think you can pick out a religion in the world today that will be palatable for the rest of the religions. I think the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, remember, he's very intelligent. He is demonically, uh, he's demonically energized. Satan is a very intelligent adversary you and I have. He gives his knowledge to the beast and to the false prophet, and they concoct what I believe is going to be a conglomeration of the world's religions, and everybody's going to go for it. And she's expressed, this religion is expressed in this woman. Christianity, Catholicism, Mormonism, Hinduism, the animistic and pantheistic religions of the world, all of them 
are going to be put together in one big sandwich and everybody's going to eat and enjoy. This is the, these are the supporters of the system. I, I'm saying that because God has chosen not to specify what religion this is going to be. If God doesn't specify things in the Bible, I would caution you against doing that. If God says no man knows the day or the hour that Jesus is going to return, don't tell me what date you think he's going to return on. If God doesn't specify, I don't specify, and you ought not specify. So there's the scope of this this system. It's worldwide. Uh, worldwide. The seduction of it is it is very appealing to everyone. The supporters of the system, the Bible says the Antichrist is pushing it. It's the beast. She's riding on the back of this beast. And then there are the, there, there is in verse number four then the success of the system. Doesn't this woman's attire sound beautiful? Read it. Read verse four again. She is decked out to the nines, as they used to say. Arrayed in purple and scarlet, in John's day, those were colors reserved for people of royalty and great prominence. And she's decked out in purple and scarlet. And then she's decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. And she's drinking from a golden cup. That's a pretty good sign of of prosperity and success, isn't it? If you are at home drinking your Dr. Pepper Zero from a golden cup, you have arrived She is decked out beautifully. She's accessorized with diamonds and pearls and gold. And she's drinking out of a golden goblet. That is the success of this world religion. This religious system is going to be extremely wealthy. You know what you and I know today? There's there's big money in false religions. There are big money. You know what? You know what your pastor doesn't have? He doesn't have a jet. He doesn't have homes that are described in six and seven digits in their price. I'm telling you, there is big money in false religions. That's exactly what's being displayed here. Do you remember when Paul and both Paul and Peter, when they were warning against false teachers? one of the overriding characteristics was their pursuit of money. Mark them. Mark those. And I'm not saying God doesn't want you to have things. That's absolutely not true. God used some very wealthy people, and he blessed people to be wealthy. But the man who stands up and is begging old ladies and old men who have very limited income and he's saying send me your dollars and I'll pray for you or send me your dollars and this will happen he is a liar and he is an antichrist small a he is ripping you off he's going to buy him a jet she's going to buy her a jet to do the Lord's work I got to have this jet the success She is dressed in purple and scarlet and she's wearing gold and precious stones and pearls and she's drinking from this golden goblet. Big money here. But I want you to know for all of its appearance, all of the trappings that it appears to have brought, all of the success that it appears to be projecting, all of those things are a pretense. This is not true. Burhanu drove us when... I don't remember if it was Brother John or Brother Terry. He drove us by uh, the Pope's palace uh, for the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. He drove us by the Pope's palace. We didn't get to see the palace. What he did have was this massive gate out front with these two huge lions at the top of the gate. I mean, the entrance of that property cost more than my house, I don't know, by ten times. It was incredible. There's a lot of money in this. But it's a pretense because what it's promising, it cannot and will not deliver. It's false. It's not true. Jesus talked about the Pharisees that looked like whited sepulchers. You look absolutely great on the outside. You are decked. You are dressed. You're doing all these things. But you are full of dead men's bones, he said. Great on the outside, rottenness on the inside. That's this. And let me pause here. 
If you're, you might be looking for a, a church and you're considering a church to go to, maybe you're changing denominations. There's a lot of that going on today. I wrote this out, so I'm going to read it so I don't mess this up. There is a danger as any church or denomination grows that it will thrive on its prosperity and forget its allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a seduction in money and power that can easily and quickly lead people astray from holiness and godliness. Many movements that started well have gone away from God. They've lost their drive. uh, They have lost to the drive for power, popularity, and prosperity. So when you're choosing a church or you're choosing a denomination, look carefully at what they do with Jesus Christ. Where is he? Now, let me say this, and I'm not trying to turn anybody off. I think God's house, I think God's house ought to be a nice place. I think it's an absolute poor testimony for us to have God give us a facility like this, and then we let it run down. You ought to take care of God's house. It ought to be a place that reflects him. I'm not talking about building mansions or building temples to honor men. I'm just saying at God's house, it ought to be a place where God's people can come and they can, they can worship the Lord and they can magnify him there. I, I have been in churches where they had to make special offerings to keep the lights on. That just ought to not prove, that ought not to prove true. Because God said he would supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. One of the needs you have at Faith Baptist Church is for electricity. God's, God's, God's house ought to be a nice place. But we have to be so careful about becoming extravagant and ridiculous. I, I remember, and I'm not picking on anybody, if this offends you, I'm, here we go. When Oral Roberts built his university in Tulsa, Oklahoma, he, he, um, he did a lot of weird things. If you've ever been to that campus, it's like stepping onto the set of Star Wars at certain times. It's, it's a different campus. But when he built that place, you know how concrete dividers have those expansion, or, or, or uh, sidewalks rather, have those concrete, those steel dividers in them among the concrete, the expansion joints. They went through at Oral Roberts University and they gold-plated every one of those expansion joints to give you a little bit of a taste of walking on streets of gold. So for every five feet of concrete, you have this much little thing of gold, and you're supposed to feel like you're walking in heaven. That's ludicrous. I've gone, and perhaps you have gone too, into some of the cathedrals in the world, and to see the massive amount of gold that covers everything. Absolutely astounding. While people coming to that cathedral are starving to death. But they've got walls that high in the back of our church there. They've got walls that high covered with idols and statues that are solid or gold covered. While the people worshiping are starving. That doesn't make any sense. That's the one world religion that's coming. There's going to be a lot of money there. So we got to keep going. The scope, the seduction, the supporters, the success of this system. The next thing is the spirit of it in verse number 5. The spirit in verse 5. It says there, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. This system is identified as the mother of harlots of the abomination of the earth. When we think of Babylon, we I do anyway. When I hear Babylon, I think Daniel. I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, lion's dens and fiery furnaces. Babylon in scripture, though, is this, it's this system, and it is the, it's the birthplace of the world's false religions. You have that word mother there. It's first referred to, geographically, it's first referred to in Genesis chapter 11 as Babel. It's later going to become Babylon. Babel. It's the first place where a wicked man named Nimrod decided to build a temple that was not dedicated to God. Rather, it was dedicated to the worship of the heavens. 
memories of the flood still fresh on their mind, they were going to determine to build something. Go back and read Genesis 11. It says they want to build something so that they can make a name for themselves. If a flood comes again, we don't want our memory wiped out. Let's build something that even if the world gets flooded again, we're going to build this thing toward the heavens, and it's it's going to preserve our name. It was all about them. It was self-worship. The first place false worship comes into the scripture where a temple is actually built. I don't think, and, and this may mess with you, and again, we can disagree on, I don't think their intent was to build a tower that went all the way to heaven. I believe what they were building was a temple built unto heaven or for the heavens, that they were building. And if you'll go back and read about that time period, they were worshiping stars and planets and constellations. I think their worship for this temple, this structure they were building, was going to be in honor of of the planets and the solar system. I don't think they were literally trying to build a tower to heaven. I know that blows up every Bible story taking place in most Sunday schools and children's churches, But I don't think that was their intent. I don't think they were that foolish. The Bible says that they were building, they were going to build in in Genesis 11, 4, they were going to build this tower unto the heavens. That word unto is the same thing you and I would say for, (coughs) F-O-R. They were the first false religionists, not the last. And God judged them. You remember what he did. He confused their languages. And now we have languages all over the world. That is what Revelation 17 is all about. Stopping false religions eternally. Their judgment's coming at the end of the tribulation period. The last thing about this in verse 6 is the slaughter by this system. That's, that's an indicting verse. Would you read that again? That says that the martyrs that have taken place of the people of God since people of God have been martyred is laid at the feet of false religion. That's what verse 6 says. I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, with the blood of martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. All of the martyrs, the prophets, in the gospels, in the epistles, through all of the dark ages, all Christian martyrs can be laid at the feet of this Babylonian whore of false religions. She's responsible for the deaths of God's children, and she's going to be judged for her bloodthirsty ways. It says she's killed so many, she's drunk with their blood. So that's, that's this harlot described. The second thing in verses 7 through 15, the Babylonian whore is demystified. Demystified. Can I pause right here and say this? Verses 7 through 15 is one of the most confusing passages of Scripture probably in the entire book, if not the New Testament. I don't have all of the answers, but I hope to clarify some things going through this. This is a confusing passage of Scripture, what it says from verses 7 forward. At verse 7 it says, And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman of the beast that carrieth her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for he is the Lord of lords. And king of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Let's stop there. 
This is the this is the whore demystified. Can we talk about some of the things that are said in there? That's a confusing bit of language if we read it all at once without going through it going through it slowly. Verses seven through eleven. First of all, the beast demystified. Verse eight refers to the death and then the resurrection of the the antichrist. Do you remember when he receives a wound in his head and he dies, and he's resurrected? That's who's being described in verse number 8. He was alive, and he's not, and the end of the verse, and now he is again, yet he is. So it's talking about the beast being killed and then being resurrected. Now let me say, whether that, whether that death and resurrection are real or faked, I don't know. If that's a deception of Satan, I don't know. But the result is exactly the same. The world is going to believe he was dead, and now he's alive. I believe he's going to die. I I believe he's going to die and that he's going to come back to life. The world's going to fall for that. That's who's being discussed in verse number number 8. In verse number 10, it says that there are seven. It talks about, in verse 10, there are seven kings. These are the seven world empires of history and prophecy. He says in there that five have already passed, one is, one is yet to come. The five empires that had already passed in John's day were Egypt and the Medo- and Babylon, the Medo-Persians, and Greece. The one that was when John was living is Rome. The one that is yet to come is the kingdom of the Antichrist. All of those kingdoms, Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, All of them endured for a long time. But did you notice what it said about that that one that's coming? He's just going to be around for about an hour. He's going to have about an hour of the Antichrist time. Is that a literal hour? No, it's about seven years. It's just a short empire of the world. Verse 11 talks about the reign of the Antichrist. You know, before he dies and is resurrected, the Antichrist is going to be a world leader. Once he resurrects, he'll be the world leader. We've got a lot of world leaders today, but we don't have the world leader. There will be on this planet one day. When he dies and is resurrected, he's going to come back and he'll be the leader of the world. But even then, just remember, his judgment is still still set in stone. He's not going to last forever. With all his power, with all his popularity, with all of his wealth, He's still headed, the Bible says there, doesn't it, to perdition. That's the Bible's word for absolute and eternal destruction. Got a lot of power, it's just not going to last. So the beast is discussed in these verses. He's going to die, he's going to be resurrected, but in the end, he's going to be destroyed. And then not only the beast demystified, but the benefactors. Verses 12 and 13. These, talking about these ten horns, they're ten kings. They're not around yet in John's day. It said they don't have any countries yet. This is a future coalition. These are ten kings. Verse 12 tells us that. And verse 13 says they have one mind. They're all in agreement. We're for Antichrist. And they give him their power and they give him their support. They are fully committed to his reign. They are, they're, given, uh, they're given this power from him, but they give it right back. They give their power and strength unto the beast, it says. But they have, these, they have this, the end of verse 12, one hour with him, seven years. That pales in comparison, in comparison to the Roman Empire or the Egyptian Empire or the Greek Empire. All of those around were for centuries and some a thousand years. He's got seven years. It's just a short, brief empire. And then verse 14 talks about the battle being demystified. Revelation 16 talks about these world nations under Satan's influence coming to Armageddon together for this battle. And they're going to fight, but the Bible says they're coming to fight the omnipotent Lamb of God. The Lamb's going to overcome him. And John says this. He says this almost so matter-of-factly as if he were saying, of course the Lamb's going to overcome. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. What did you think was going to happen at Armageddon? That's the tone there. They have absolutely no chance of defeating him. 
He destroys them, Revelation 19 says, with the word of his mouth. We'll get into that study, Lord willing, in a few weeks, Revelation chapter 19. But then before we, before we move to the last part of the chapter, I want you to notice what it says there in verse 14. It mentions those that are coming with the Lamb. You ought to take special note of that if you're a Christian because it's you. Don't you like the way that's described? Those that are with the Lamb, three adjectives, they are called, they're chosen, and they're faithful. That's the bride of Christ. That, that's us coming back. When he comes for this battle, we're coming with him. We will see this short-lived battle of Armageddon. I don't even know if that's a fair term for it. But it's going, it's going to happen. Our part that day will be to praise the Lamb of God for the victory that he gains here. He claims victory that day over all of his enemies. So this Babylonian harlot here is demystified. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come back and all the enemies that are in support of this religion, he's going to destroy them. Why? Because he's the Lord of Lords and he is the King of Kings. And you're coming with him, John said. Now the last thing is the Babylonian horde destroyed. And this is where you see the true nature again of Antichrist. In verse 16, it says this, And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. The tense of that verb is, they shall come to hate her. They're going to hate this this woman, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. The Babylonian whore destroyed. Real quickly, the first thing is the reality of her destruction in verse 16. The reality of it. After Antichrist and the false prophet and his ten minions here, after they have used that world religion to achieve a cohesive following, the Bible says they turn on her. They forsake that religion. He enters, uh, he enters a, a time when he no longer, he no longer needs that world religion. The pinnacle has been achieved for them. And so they turn on her. It says in verse number 16, the ten horns that thou saw, those kings, they shall hate the whore. And then it goes on to describe the reality of her destruction. They turn on this harlot and completely destroy her. And verse 17 gives us the reason for her destruction. You know why she's destroyed? Did you catch that verse number 17? Because God wants her destroyed. Isn't that an amazing thing? It says that the Antichrist and the ten, the ten horns, those ten kings following him, they are doing the will of God. God takes even wicked and evil people and he accomplishes his will. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. That is sovereignty defined right there. This is God in complete control. Chaos in the world, earthquakes, tsunamis, hailstones, the destruction of everything, they're fulfilling his will. What an amazing thing. The reason for her destruction is that God has a will to be fulfilled and he uses the ungodly to destroy the ungodly. You saw that in little pictures in the Old Testament. When Israel would sin, they'd fall into spiritual adultery. God would send some wicked king to chasten the wickedness of Israel. And here that's happening on a world that's happening on a worldwide scale. You see, these false religions for thousands of years have been disgracing God. And now the culmination of false religion has been wrapped up into one worldwide system of belief, and God's going to destroy it. He's going to take it away, and he's going to use the Antichrist and his followers to do it. So that at the end of the tribulation period, false religion will have been destroyed. What is God doing? 
said this this morning, with the pummeling of the world, with the destruction of all the cities and the fleeing away of the islands and the falling of the mountains, what is God doing? He's setting the world up for a millennial kingdom. When he comes back at the end of the tribulation period, the whole world will know exactly and will confess who Jesus Christ is. He sets up for a 1,000-year period in history in which he will be the only one worshipped. That's going to be an amazing period of time, a thousand years. You know by nature that we are religious creatures. We will worship something or someone. Every one of us, every one of us will. And it boils down to two simple choices, Jesus or false religion. Jesus or false religion. Atheism is a religion. Because you have to believe that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God doesn't exist. You are exercising a great deal of faith to be an atheist. What you're saying is you know everything there is to know and there's no God. So it's either Jesus Christ or it's a false religion. And here's my closing thought tonight. Every belief system in the world that does not center on the Lord Jesus Christ is a false religion. Lift him up. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said in John 14, 6. In Acts chapter 4, Peter said, there is, there is not salvation in any other. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. That's exclusive. That is, everybody else is pushed aside. No other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. John chapter 8 and verse 24. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. There's no wiggle room here. It's Jesus or it's nothing. Always come back to Christ. Talk to your friends. Find out, is it Jesus or religion with them? Because if it's not Jesus, it's a false religion. Can't dress it up. And there are a lot of religions that use Jesus, but it's not about Jesus. This one world religion is coming. And in chapter 17, God deals with this. God deals with this false religion once and for all. There are a lot of religions in the world. They're all going to be wrapped up into one. The world's going to accept it. And then God's going to say, do you remember chapter 16 this morning? God's going to say, no, it is done. I'm done with false religion. It's been going on for thousands of years. I'm done with it. And he uses Antichrist and those ten kings to destroy the last false religion in eternity. And that's what happens in Revelation chapter number 17. It's an amazing it's an amazing judgment coming to this world. Next week, Lord willing, chapter 18, God destroys economic Babylon. Goes after man's, well, we love money. We love it. It's the root of all evil, the love of money. Did you know that the majority of Jesus' parables are centered around money and possessions? Why do you think that is? Because my heart, <laughs> I'm bent toward that. We're bent toward it. So next week, we'll address, we'll address the rest of God's dealing with Babylon. Remember, Babylon's more than a city. It's a system. And it is at work in the world right now. This isn't for the tribulation period. The system of Babylon is in the world right now working against you and I, trying to live for Christ. Fight it. The world, the flesh, and the devil, your three enemies, according to Scripture. The world, that's Babylon. That's the system that Satan is using to distract us from Christ. Don't let him do it. Making much of Jesus. That's what you and I are to be about until we go to heaven. Let's stand and be dismissed tonight in prayer, can we? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. We are so grateful that Jesus said, I am the truth. And Lord, help us to be discerning in our Christianity, not to accept every book and every teacher and preacher that comes along claiming 
to know and love Jesus. May we search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. As we get closer to your coming, Lord, help us to know our Bible better. Help us to resist the temptation to be attracted to the world. It's alluring. God, I pray for I pray for my kids, my grandkids growing up in this world. And I pray your protection on their heart. And Lord, as, as Christians, help us to walk in such a way that we demonstrate there is reason for us to stay committed to your word and your truth. Lord, I love you. I can't wait to see you face to face one day. I pray it would be soon. We, we like what John says. When he says, even so, come quickly. Lord, that is our prayer, that you would come soon. But if you choose to delay... Help us to be faithful to you until we see you so that when we see you, we'll not be ashamed of how we've lived our lives. Thank you for your word and thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray you'd bless these, these folks as they head home tonight. Give us opportunity this week to share Christ with people. Help us never to be ashamed of him. We pray all this in your name. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week.